really think about how God loves us, it certainly, at least when we're singing that song, it doesn't feel like a 10% love, does it? It doesn't feel like a tithe love to me. I'm Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden, and we've been talking about how church is a movement and not an institution. And around here, if you start thinking like an institution, we're going to slap. Church is a movement. When it's an institution, it's just a club, it's a meeting place that has no impact. And frankly, I don't want anything to do with that. Nothing. Because it's boring. And the other thing that we have to discuss, and I know you guys are all excited about the fact that we're talking about giving today, um, but to fund a movement... A movement needs different things, and we've talked about a couple of those things already, and one of the things, we're kind of taking a word each week in this series on movement and defining it, and today we're talking about funding a movement, and we're trying to define generosity. What is generosity? Now, before we get started, I want to make sure you understand this message has nothing to do with a financial crisis. It's not a plea for help or for more money. That's not what we're doing here today. I don't have any interest in doing that because I'm not really good at it. But what I'm going to try to teach you today is that how you view money demonstrates your understanding of your relationship with Heavenly Dad and what His love for you costs. I mean, so much of what has been said in this area of giving, it either burdens people with guilt or bribes them with false promises. Like, if you don't give, you're not really walking with God, or if you do give, you'll get all this. And I think those are gross adulterations of what giving should be. See, we need to discover as a movement the joy and freedom of seeing the impact of grace on our giving. The concept of tithing, frankly, and we're going to talk a little bit about tithing because that's kind of a popular teaching about giving. The concept of tithing, frankly, has become a comfort zone for many people. And last week, one of the things we discovered is that comfort doesn't lend itself very well to a movement. Comfort is about an institution. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, that understand, an institution isn't defined by a lack of money. Because there are institutions that have plenty of dough. So I'm not talking about that. But you can see how even in our practice of giving, and by the way, it's assumed that those who are part of a movement give. That's the assumption, right? But it seems kind of strange that somehow, even in the midst of giving, we can become comfortable. It can become institution-driven. So before we get started, it's important to understand that giving is an expected participation if you're a part of a movement. So today is not whether you should give or not. Today is about how. And why? Now, there are some biblical concepts, and so we're going to talk about this first one. What is tithing? I mean, tithing 
is an Old Testament principle that was based upon an agrarian society that said, for everything that you grow and everything you have, you should take 10% of your crops and bring them to the storehouse. And then there was some ex explanation that that 10% went, went to the tribe of Levi, who then would give 10% of that to the priests. And so there was this concept that everything that you do, 10% goes here, and then 10% of that goes there. And basically what has happened, this is my opinion, there are some who might disagree with me. There's room for that, believe it or not. I believe tithing has become a very bad teaching in the church today. Because when I look at the New Testament, I don't see any mention of a tithe. What I see referenced in the New Testament is not 10% or tithing. What I see in the New Testament is overwhelming generosity. In Deuteronomy 26, it clearly teaches us that the concept of tithing, tithing was related to an agricultural economy. Leviticus 27.30 talks about how there was a tithe out of everything from the land, whether it be grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, a tenth of it belongs to the Lord. And in Malachi chapter 3, it says, bring a tenth, bring your tithe into the storehouse that there may be food for the temple. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about tithing because, frankly, tithing is boring. 10%. <sighs> I didn't like math in school, did you? Some of you, yes, I love math. Aren't you special? <laughs> but something amazing happened, guys. Something amazing happened with the cross and its impact on giving. You see, after Christ came and he sacrificed with incredible generosity his life and shed his blood so that we might live and we might be connected to Heavenly Dad, giving was no longer mathematical. Giving was no longer about compliance to the law. Giving was no longer about fulfilling religious and social expectations as handed down by religious leaders. No, what happened in the New Testament after Christ is that giving became passionate. It became creative. It became artistic. It became dramatic. And if you will, it was like giving became kind of like a right side of the brain activity instead of a left side of the brain activity. And giving, if you think about that song we just sang, how he loves us and I'm bent by the wind of his mercy and grace, that doesn't sound mathematical to me. That sounds artistic. In the New Testament, when examples of giving are referenced, there was never a mention of a 10% tithe. They would have been expected to have at least that going on in their life. What Paul referenced several times, in fact, was giving that was shocking, frankly. Overwhelming. Astounding. Because what happened in the New Testament is believers gave not because they had to, but because they chose to. They had been so impacted by God's grace and so filled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that it transformed their value system. 
<clears throat> the giving that resulted outstripped anything tithing could ever accomplish. Here is how we should view tithing 10% of our income now. And by the way, I'm not trying to say that you have to give more than 10%. That's not my place. I have no right to say that. That's not my responsibility. So don't come here with that thought process as I go through this. But here's how we should view tithing now. It's a cheap substitute for what the New Testament teaches about the blessing of being a giver, a sacrificer, and part of a real movement. We've looked at Acts chapter 2 several times about how they came and, and everything they had they willingly gave so that nobody would be without. We've talked about that several times. And there's some other passages that I could read to you. In Philippians 1, 3 through 5, here's what Paul says. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There we see an unwavering consistency in how the Philippians supported Paul's declaration of the gospel <clears throat> in philippians 4 14 to 20 he says yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble and you philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when i left macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you even in thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again not that i seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. <coughs> Wouldn't it be great if churches got up and said, we want you to know something. Our coffers are full. Your giving has overwhelmed us. We have so many things we're looking at doing as being part of this movement. We're going forward with exciting things, exciting plans. And I want you to know that we have received your gifts. We have received your generosity, and we are overwhelmed by it. That's what Paul says to the Philippian church. And then he says something to the Corinthian church that's pretty amazing. <clears throat> Here's what he talks about this church in Macedonia where he went initially, right? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He's writing to the Corinthians who had a lot of problems. And he's saying, you know that church in Macedonia? He says, the ones that are very poor in the severest text of, a test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have combined to overflow in a wealth of generosity. Their affliction and their joy and their poverty have come together to overflow in generosity. Hey, Corinthians, you know that Macedonian church? They don't have nothing. Here's what they've done. It's astounding. <clears throat> For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means, on their own accord. In other words, I didn't have to pressure them. I didn't even ask them. They just started giving. Begging us earnestly for the favor of being able to take part in the relief of other saints in the midst of their poverty. Please, Paul, please let us be a part of this relief. Please. 
And this, not as we expected. We didn't expect the Macedonians to do much. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Wow. Does that sound like 10%? And I want you to know, Corinthians, I'm a... The Macedonians, 11%. And then the last one. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the question is, why aren't we able to give like the first century church did? I mean, think about it. God isn't fair. God is generous. Would you agree with that? We didn't get what was fair. We didn't get 10% of Jesus' life. We got what was generous. You see, if people are giving to an institution, it's almost characterized as like a business, and the church has to meet their customers' demands. Look, I'm giving, I want this. I'm giving, I want that. I want this type of music, I want this type of thing, I want this type of program. And so what begins to happen is, unknowingly, even though people are giving, they're giving while purchasing. Oh, they would never say that, but in reality, what begins to happen is a church and their staff and their leaders begin to feel this pressure to perform and to provide and to fulfill desires and wants and needs. And when that happens, people aren't giving to a movement, they're giving to a business, an institution, and they're giving to receive. And frankly, between you and I, that's mundane. It's boring. And there's always expectations attached that we can never fulfill. You see, people don't give generously to a bill. Dear Mr. Davis, we here at Florida Power and Light would like to thank you for paying double the last year for your electricity. <laughs> Dear Mr. Davis, we, the Homeowners Association, would really appreciate you giving 10 times the yearly regime fee. We've received your gift, and we are now a movement because of it. You see what I'm saying here? Generosity within a movement, generosity, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about generosity within a movement is, first of all, a response to grace. Oh, how he loves us, and I'm bent by the wind of his grace and mercy. You see, a response to grace is not an attempt to receive grace or blessing. Do you understand the difference? If you have received grace, you don't respond with expecting more. Oh, if you give to God, he'll give you more. Okay, so that's a promise. But if that's your motivation, that's not giving. That's purchasing. If you give, you'll get this. No, Generosity is a response to, I can't believe I got this. I'd even ask for it. I'm overwhelmed by it. Oh, my word, I don't even... That's what generosity is. It's a response to grace. And if you can't respond to grace, 
you probably haven't received it. Because if you really have received grace, you have no choice but to respond. Generosity within a movement is born out of passion, not obligation. You see the difference? Generosity within a movement tends to be shocking, like what Jesus did for us. And generosity within a movement should be decided privately. Paul says that. Decide what you're giving in your own heart and then do it. Again, I don't have any right to tell you what or how you should give. I have none. That's not our responsibility as leaders. However, there should be a decision process. If you are a recipient of grace, there should be a natural response that's not mathematic, that's not compliant, that's not legal, but it's creative. It's artistic. It's expressive. It's emotional. It's compassionate. And it can't be measured by a calculator. Have you ever been overwhelmed by someone's generosity? I mean, besides Jesus, of course. Have you ever been like, whoa, you did what for me? So let me tell you a story about a donor to the Nightlife Center. This was nine months into the Nightlife Center, right? We had just started it. We were having our New Year's Eve party. I was really discouraged, frankly. We had a few donors, but not many people were kind of catching the vision of what I was trying to accomplish because, you know, it was a little different. And frankly, it was becoming quite a financial burden on my family. But we were passionate about it. And I'm preparing for this New Year's Eve party. We're having kids come in. We're having some people come. And I mean, you know, and I'm frustrated because why can't these people see how important this ministry is in this town? There's kids who need to hear about the love of Christ in an innovative, unconventional way, which needs to happen. And I'm kind of in the victim room here. You know, woe is me. I'm doing all this good stuff and nobody's here to help me. I got a phone call from a friend that I knew in Columbia, South Carolina, where I was a youth pastor. He was a member of the church there, and he was actually there going through seminary, him and his wife. His wife is actually from Sarasota. She grew up in Grace Baptist Church, so she knew about Sarasota. We had supported them as missionaries. They were missionaries in Peru. My wife and I had supported them, and, and they ran this, they started and ran this summer camp, and there it's winter camp, right, for kids. For poor kids. It's amazing ministry. And I know that they were tight financially. And they said, Joe, we've been reading your emails and we looked at your website. We always knew that that's kind of how God had made you to do that type of ministry. And we just love what's going on at the Nightlife Center. And he said, we don't have much, but we really feel compelled to become a monthly supporter. I knew as a friend and as a donor, they had about $200 of discretionary income each month. And they signed up to be a donor 50 bucks a month. That night, New Year's Eve, it's about 9.30 at night, I'm all upset and frustrated. He calls me, he says, we just love what you're doing. 
We're thankful that you're there in my wife's community where she grew up doing this ministry that's been needed for years. It was just 50 bucks a month, and it blew me away. And I sat on the curb at the nightlife center in one of the parking spaces, and I sat there, and I'm talking to him, and I said, man, Eric, thank you so much. I really And I hung up, and I just started crying. For like 20 minutes, I was crying. I couldn't believe it. I was thanking God. I was saying, I can't believe I was so... 50 bucks a month. And you know what blew me away? It wasn't the amount. It was the fact that these people, they were like Macedonia, out of their poverty. And combined with their joy and grace and mercy, they did more than I could ever imagine. And they became my favorite donor every month. When that 50 bucks would come in, I'd say, wow, I'm blown away by the fact that... Now, I had bigger donors come later, but that was my favorite one. Because these missionaries who had nothing... These missionaries who were doing harder work, frankly, than I am, were giving this small amount. But it was a huge portion of what they had to give. Understanding the cost of grace transforms how you calculate generosity. Let me say that again. Understanding the cost of grace transforms how you calculate generosity grace becomes your calculator not a number so as i leave you with that thought what i what i hope you'll understand this morning is this message was not about how much you should give it's not a plea for money because we're hurting or anything like that this is me explaining to you that if you really are going to be a part of a movement, grace should overwhelm you. So much so that you can't even count. You don't even want to count what you're giving. Because God's grace overwhelms you. And if you truly understand that grace and that mercy and it bends you like a strong wind, all you can do is yield and say, I can't believe I'm the recipient of this gift. Whatever I have, Heavenly Dad, whatever it is, if you want it, it's yours.